scripture reading before this morning's lesson will be from James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. If any of you suffering, they should pray. If any of you are happy, they should sing. If any of you are sick, they should call for the elders of the church, and the elders should pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Prayer that comes from faith will heal the sick, for the Lord will, will restore them to health. And if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. For this reason, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous person is powerful in what it can achieve. Elijah was a person just like us. When he earnestly prayed that it wouldn't rain, no rain fell for three and a half years. He prayed again, God sent rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Well, if you want to get your Bibles out, turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5 is where we're going to be studying from this morning. Appreciate so much the songs that were selected and prayers, Lord's Supper, uh, everyone singing out for the songs. Very encouraging, uplifting to be here this morning. Um, we've been working our way through the book of James. We're now almost at the end, uh, and I kind of wish it would just keep going. I mean, I know it's hard. I know that there's a lot of things in James that are difficult, that uh, we don't really like. Uh, because it reveals flaws about ourselves, but uh, really it's so instructive about having the right kind of heart, the right kind of mindset. Uh, as we've worked our way through this book, we've seen James say some really difficult things that we need to hear about using our tongue, about pursuing things of this world, uh, about loving other people, and about enduring trials. And so James has constantly been telling us the hard things that we need to hear, and I, I very much have appreciated that as we've studied through it. Um, today we're going to be looking at a text about prayer. Uh, and as you think about prayer, it's, it's like a door that's always there uh, that you can open any time, have access to it any time, anybody can open it. Uh, and on the other side of that door is opportunity. Opportunity to understand life's deepest mysteries. Uh, opportunity to find solutions to life's most difficult problems. Opportunities to find uh, help for our, our struggles and, and times of turmoil. Uh, and so on the other side of that door, there's all of this opportunity for us, and yet so many times we fail to open it. And so we're going to talk about prayer, hopefully this morning, to encourage us and motivate us to actually open the door and to find out why this is so important for us as Christians to do more often than we do, uh, as, as maybe some of us don't do it much at all. Uh, you know, I, there's been times in my life whenever prayer was not my go-to. In times of struggle, uh, that was not what I did. And, and I just kind of lost track of it and didn't, didn't pay attention to it. Prayer wasn't a priority in my life. And so uh, we're going to, hopefully what James tells us this morning will help encourage us to make this a priority. Uh, as you start, you notice the first verse says, If anyone is suffering, 
Let him pray. Whenever you're suffering, maybe prayer is your go-to. But for a lot of us, whenever we suffer, we tend to look at ourselves and think about what we can do to fix the problem. I rely on my wisdom. I rely on my strength. I rely on my ability to handle things. And if I can't do it, then I start looking at other people, hoping that they can fix it, hoping that they can handle it. And, and I really tend to focus on the things I see to help the things that are going on in my life. But James, in this text, says, if anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Ask the question, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Are you suffering right now? Is there something that's going on in your life that is difficult? I know the answer for uh, uh, quite a few people who have been regular attendees here. Yes, absolutely. There are things going on in my life that is extremely, extremely, extremely difficult. Well, James says, pray. Well, why would I do that? Why would I pray? What good does that do me? How does that fix any of my problems? You know, it's not a physical thing that I'm doing that is working my way toward a solution. Nothing that I'm, I'm doing as I'm praying is really going to help me, we might think. But what James is getting at and what we're going to see throughout this lesson is prayer provides us with access to God's strength. And that's the most important thing that we could ever have, right? I mean, God's strength. The God who defeated Goliath for David. The God who parted the Red Sea for Moses and for all of Israel. The God who has demonstrated time and time again he has that power to, to even stop the sun in its place and cause the day to linger. Is the God who is at our door waiting for us to open. Prayer is a big deal. And this is what he's trying to get us to tap into as he says, is anyone among you suffering, let him pray. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. He's going to get specific and talk about those who are sick in just a minute. So we'll bring this up a little bit more. But notice what he says next in this verse. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone cheerful? Now, I know quite a few of us are cheerful. Uh, life's going pretty good right now. We've got uh, our babies in our house, and it's just the pitter-patter of little feet. And uh, my, my oldest two are at this golden age now. Things are going really well. It's a cheerful time for us in our lives. Um, I know a lot are suffering, but I know some are cheerful right now. Like Life's pretty good. Uh, things are going really well. Well, notice as, as we think about prayer, typically we think about prayer as crisis mode, right? Um, we, we may not pray until the crisis comes, if we pray at all. After, and, we, and if we pray when the crisis comes, it's because we've done everything we know to do to fix the problem first. And we've, we've, we've turned to every resource at our uh, availability before turning to God in prayer. And so a lot of times we think of prayer as uh, when we're in crisis mode. Well, what James says is, if you're cheerful, you need to sing praise. Let him sing. So whenever the crisis comes, you pray. Whenever the good things are happening in your life, don't sit around thinking, look at what all I've done. Look at how much I've accomplished in my life. 
God must really like me to give me all these wonderful things in my life. I mean, I deserve them, you know, obviously. Look at all that I've done to accomplish all this and to bring all this. And what James is trying to get us to see is that these good things in our life, they don't just happen. They're not just a random turning of events that take place in our life that bring about all these wonderful blessings that we're enjoying, which in our, in our society, in our world, we are very, very blessed. He says these good things don't just happen. Whenever you're cheerful, whenever the good things are happening to you, you should be singing praises to God. See, singing isn't about asking like prayer, but singing is about thanking Our song is our prayer, expressing gratitude to God. Our song is our prayer. There's not much difference, really, as you look at these two things. The idea of prayer, the idea of singing, you know, uh, if, if the words of our mouth are, are turned to God, praising Him for what He's done, then, and, and we're in prayer, and the words of our mouth are turned to God, asking for help and struggle... It's about connecting with God. It's about the relationship being solidified in our prayers and in our songs that we are communicating with the God who we do not see because we believe that He is. We believe that He exists and that He works in the world around us. He's not an imaginary friend. It's not as though everything good that happens in my life is the result of my work. And it's not as though the bad things that happened in my life, he has no effect or impact on. And so you see James saying, you say you have faith, show you have faith. Show you believe in that God you can't see by speaking to him. Use that tongue for something good. All throughout James, he's been telling us about how awful that tongue is. Right? It, it's, it, it brings uh, destruction and mayhem everywhere it goes. Right? The tongue is this fire that, that just sparks and just causes all this destruction. And now he says, here's how you use your tongue. You pray. You talk to God whenever you're suffering. And you talk to God whenever things are going well. You don't just become a fair weather uh, or, or uh, a friend of God whenever you have a need of him. You're not just using him uh, whenever everything's falling apart, but you're constantly aware of his presence of his work in your life and his ability to work and bring about a transformation in your circumstances. And so after we've studied all of this in James, we've seen how uh, there's all these things that we're doing wrong, right? James has just been hammering us. Is anyone among you rich? <laughs> Weeping how, you know? Uh, if, you, if you are saying to yourself, today and tomorrow I'm going to go into such and such city and I'm going to spend a year there and I'm going to spend and make profit, and he says... What are you talking about? You're foolish. You know, all these things that he tells us that, that is condemning us and helping us to see our faults and our failures. James says, okay, I've got the solution for you in your struggles and in your successes. You turn to God in everything that you do. Let God be the center of your life. Let him be everything to you because he wants to be. He's the creator of everything and he wants to hear from me. And he wants to hear from you. And that's amazing. That God, out of all the things that he is involved in, has the time and the care 
to hear from you. Some of you maybe are more narcissistic and you think, that's right, he should be listening to me. (laughs) But for the most part, if we're honest, who are we? You know, who am I that God would listen to me? And yet James says, you need to be speaking to him. He's waiting for you to open that door, to, to, to call on him, to speak to him. Well, he goes into a little bit more of an intimate example, kind of more specific here in verse 14. And we'll go ahead and read 14 through 16. It says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Okay, there's some interesting things here, right? There's some things in here that, well, wait a second, what is that about, okay? But let's kind of, let's break this down. Let's work our way through it. First of all, is anyone among you sick? We've all been sick. We've all had colds. We've all had, uh, you know, Flus and all of that kind of stuff. This isn't talking. This is this is serious sickness, right? I mean, he says, "Is anyone among you sick?" And, and he's talking about some kind of a physical or spiritual sickness that really needs attention. It's something that is a difficulty that is a, is a real struggle in your life. The suffering that he mentioned earlier in verse thirteen is is where he's pointing to. You've got something going on about you personally that is troubling you and, and messing up your life. It is a sickness that you can't overcome. And you recognize that. He says, call on the elders and have them come and pray over you. He says three things. This is the first one. Call on the elders and have them come and pray over you. Now, we don't have elders right now. Hopefully, not too distant future, elders will be established here. But what he's pointing to is looking to the community and sharing your weakness, right? I mean, you got to let those elders know what's going on in your life. You don't suffer alone. You don't just hide in a hole and be your individualistic self, as our, our world tells us to be. We don't put on the facade like everything's okay, but we go to someone else and we share with them the struggles that we're facing in our lives and we ask them to pray over us. And you see that there is, there's benefit, and we're going to see this in just a little bit, uh, there's benefit in, in giving the information of the deepest struggles in your life to those who are spiritually mature and those who have a mind and a heart that loves and cares for other people, that those who are are looking out for your best interests, those who are desiring for you to have spiritual success in your life. That's what shepherds are doing. They're desiring for you to have spiritual success. The physical stuff is intertwined with the spiritual, and we're going to see that in a little bit. But as you see this, This is a reliance on someone else to come and to pray over you and to to petition God as well as you. And so the idea is, whenever we pray, we can let other people pray for us as well. 
And that some way, somehow, that has even greater benefit for us. You know, Paul says that as well. Paul, Paul himself, this great evangelist who has preached to uh, thousands of people and had tremendous success. We love Paul so much. He's writing to churches and he's saying, please pray for me that I'll be successful in this. He doesn't, he doesn't just think his prayers are enough. He wants all the prayers going up for the same cause and the same purpose. And, and the impression we're getting from James is that this is going to help them. That the person who is being prayed for with the prayer of faith is going to be saved from whatever sickness that they have. And the, the prayer has power and it will work. As that elder prays. But what's also being implied here is perhaps even more. Notice the second thing he says anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. What is that about? All you essential oilists? Oh, yeah. This is my text, right? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, frankincense. I mean, that's. There's, there's oils, that's what medicinal uh, uses in, the, in the, those times. They would use oils for medicinal purposes. So there is this combination of, you know, putting your faith and trust in God and using the things that he's provided to be used to overcome the physical sickness. So herein we find justification for going to medical experts. It's not as though uh, the Bible teaches us to just pray and have faith in God and don't consult any doctors about any of your sicknesses or any of your diseases. No, it's you understand God is able to work through those people. And, and the way he says it is anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord, understanding that if, if that oil is going to have an effect, it's going to be because God makes it have an effect. That God is going to bring about the turnaround of whatever the sickness is. And so he joins together both the spiritual and the scientific here in some way. Uh, and you see that these two things are not necessarily at odds with one another, as uh, maybe some people might believe. But medicine is also brought in. And then there's the third thing. And this is the, the head scratcher, right? Uh, the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins... He will be forgiven, verse 15. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, he brings in a third thing that needs to happen. You're sick, you're suffering, you're struggling. Call for those elders to come and to pray over you and let them anoint your head with oil and then tell them about your sins. That's why you're bringing these spiritual leaders in. It's not just for the physical, but there's also... A spiritual implication here. Confess your sins to them. Now, this is interesting because as we read this, we might think, oh, okay, so this is about if you're sick, you've done something wrong to deserve the sickness, and if you confess your sins, then that will have a miraculous power to, to remove your sins and then Remove your sickness, and that'll just fix everything. And so you get sick, and you just start coming up with stuff that I've done wrong, you know, and trying to figure out what it is. Well, that's good, okay? And what he's saying here, what he's pointing to here is that our spiritual struggles could have a physical effect on us. 
That's true. Our understanding about uh, the spiritual things that we know we should be doing and we're failing to do, that can have a toll on us mentally and physically, physiologically. It can affect our bodies. It can affect our lives. If we know we're in a wrong place and doing things that are wrong, our body is being torn and, and it results in physical struggles and physical ailments. So that's, that, that could be a large part of what we say here. But, and and so, so don't think, okay, I've sinned, so therefore uh, I've, got some sin, I've, got, I've got this sickness. That's not necessarily the case. We know that, right? I mean, if, if bad things are happening to you, it may be you have done something sinful and that God has given you a little nudge and saying, hey, wake up. You know, think about this. Your life is temporary. You can be gone in an instant, and you need to wake up. And there's probably people who are praying for you to get that out of your sickness to see you could be gone in an instant. It's time to spiritually renew and, and to devote yourself again to God. This isn't a joke. Life is temporary, and it can be gone very quickly for all of us. And so it could be God is urging you, nudging you to go down that path. But we kind of see with Job that that wasn't the case, right? <laughs> Job was mentioned earlier. He had all these uh, boils all over him and stuff, and, and they were condemning him. You're doing something wrong. He's like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. And, and really, it wasn't about correcting him. It was about him glorifying God in the trial. That's what it was about. And so all of this that we're seeing is, is telling us how to handle the struggles and the trials of life. Earlier, James said, count it all joy when you suffer trials of various kinds. Now he's given us very practical ways to deal with our struggles and our trials. And he's giving us a very holistic approach. Understand that there are spiritual implications in the physical struggles that you go through. Understand that your sickness might stem from some kind of a spiritual unrest inside of you. And you need to address that. And you need to fix that in order to overcome whatever it is. And you need to have a good relationship with God regardless. Maybe he's trying to nudge you to be even more spiritual than you've been in the past. He's trying to help you see that life's not about all these things that are so temporary. But life's about the eternal. He's helping you to see that because he loves you and because he cares about you and he wants you to have a great treasure waiting for you when this life is over. Uh, there at the end, he says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so we see that if we're willing to go to God in prayer and we're bringing in these elders who hopefully are righteous and they're living for God, that that prayer can have tremendous power it can bring about the healing of the individual. But as you're reading that, you might be thinking, okay, well, um, I guess I shouldn't pray then, right? I mean, who is really righteous? You're honest with yourself. You read through James. You read through the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, I don't feel like I can go to God in prayer. Um, I got all these things that I'm obviously falling short on, and I'm not doing everything that I should be doing. And so we might think, uh, I'm not righteous enough to pray. And so if none are righteous, which, which Paul says in Romans, there's none righteous, no, not one, then how can we pray? Why does James say the prayer of a righteous person has great power if it's working if none of us will ever be righteous? 
Well, I think there's an idea that's being implied here that is important for us to understand. If we pray with a heart that's not truly devoted to God, and we're turning to God because we want something from Him, but we've never really given Him, given him our lives, we're never really devoted to Him, then we shouldn't expect Him to answer our prayer. Earlier he said, you, you pray and you don't receive because you pray with the wrong motives so that you can spend it on your pleasures, you know? See, God knows and sees what's in our heart. He knows what's going on. And uh, Psalm 66 says it very clearly. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. If we are pursuing a life of stubborn rebellion, not submitting to what we know God wants us to do because we love this world more than we love God, and now we're going to God in our suffering and we hadn't changed, then we don't need to expect him to listen. And so you don't want to pray because you want to hold on to your sin? Well, it's the same either way. But if you come to God in humility... If you approach his throne, recognizing who he is, believing in what he can do, and willing to, sac to submit your life to him, then all those sins will be forgiven. You'll be spiritually renewed. And now the door is open and you have access to the strength of God. God is seeking humility not divinity, okay? He's seeking humility from us, not perfection. That's not what he's after. It's not that we're, we're, we're not good enough to be heard. It's none of us are ever good enough. It's the door's open, but it's we have to humble ourselves. Remember earlier in James, he said, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then James tells us, as you continue reading, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it didn't rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Now we think about Elijah, we think, oh wow, righteousness, right? I mean, that is a righteous man. He's one of the greatest of all the prophets. And James pays attention to a particular characteristic of Elijah that is revealed to us, he was a man with a nature like ours. What does he mean? Well, Elijah was despaired, distressed. He was angry. Uh, Elijah, he, he struggled in, in faith. He struggled in a lot of things. He, he desired for the people just to be judged, just, just wipe them all out kind of a mentality. And God came to him patiently, and he heard him, and he said, Elijah, I still have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. And, and he answered him, and he helped him along the way. In his weakness, God heard him. In his love and his passion for God, God was willing to do amazing things for Elijah. He wasn't perfect, but he cared about God. And so our prayer 
is about the posture of our hearts. What does your heart look like when you approach his throne? Is your heart torn between this world and God? Are you double-minded? Have you given yourself fully to God yet? You know, as you're sick, hopefully you recognize it's time to straighten up. But wouldn't it be great if we recognized that all the time and it didn't take sickness to bring us to that point? Then we could go to God in any struggle and know he hears us. Peter says to, for, for husbands to live with your spouse in an understanding way so that your prayers won't be hindered. I mean, it's throughout the scriptures that the heart that is just so proud and arrogant and overbearing and harsh and critical and, and, and selfish is not going to be listened to. And so we have to take inventory of what's inside of us to make sure that our hearts are truly devoted to God as they should be. And if they're not, then we need to be humble about it and say, God, I am struggling and I'm not in the right position and I recognize that, but please hear me anyway and, and, and help me to get back on the right track because I want to. I desire it. I don't, maybe your prayer is like, David, create in me a clean heart because I, my heart's broken. My heart's messed up. I need help. And then you go to him with other things. But the heart needs to be your focus. It's the most important thing. That's what God cares most about. Being righteous is not about doing all those right things that God wants you to do. Being righteous is about approaching the will of God with a humility and a submissiveness. And it doesn't matter what I've done in the past. It matters what God wants me to do from here on out. And I'm going to do it with all my might. And that's what God wants as he tells us to go to him in prayer. As we read this, you know, in the back of our minds, maybe we're also kind of asking this question, so I had to throw this in here. What about our unanswered prayers? You know, uh, this text clearly says the prayer of faith will save. You know, I mean, that's right there. The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. So uh, just come up here, and, and as long as you have faith, then, then you can be healed, and then I'll just hit you on the forehead and you'll fall down, right? That's the faith healers that uh, a lot of people uh, have, have turned to for help in their time of suffering. And then whenever the healing doesn't work, what do they say? Well, you have to have enough faith, and you must not have enough faith. Is that what we're preaching and we're talking about here in this picture of the prayer of faith will save? You just have to have enough faith, and then the sickness will go away. I don't think that's really what this is about. It's not an unconditional and all-applicable kind of a statement. Um, God isn't handing out a blank check and promising to do whatever we ask him to do. But he's, he's promising to do what's best for us. You think about a child uh, and the way we interact with our children. You know, good parents want to do what their children desire. They want to give them what they want. They want to show them love and affection and compassion. They want to take away their pains and their struggles. They want to uh, provide for them a good life. Maybe a lot of times we think a better life than what we had. But we know when they ask for something that's bad for them. And we know we have to tell them no. And it don't matter how much they kick and scream and pitch a fit in front of public people and everybody's staring at us. It don't matter. We can't give them that. 
And they come up with ridiculous things. We're, we're in the toddler stage now. It's, it's coming. It's coming fast. You guys are going to have some fun uh, coming uh, to, to services here pretty soon. Uh, Miss Phoebe is spunky. So uh, it's going to be great. But, but we know that the parent has more knowledge and understanding and that they have the responsibility to not give the things that are bad for them. And so we need to understand we are like children. We don't know what's really for the best. We don't have all the information that God has. And so as we pray, we have faith that God will do what is best, and we want him to heal, and we have faith that he can heal, and that he will heal if it is what is best for all of us. We need to make sure that we have that kind of conviction as we go to God in prayer. We don't need to, to say to God, either heal him or I'm gone. You know, it's not, that's not smart. You know, it's like the kid who's, who's running away from home because the parent wouldn't let him jump off the high chair. I mean, come on. You know, that's, that's just not smart. So we have to have that kind of perspective, that kind of humility again, to recognize that our Father knows what's best. And we pray like Jesus did in the garden, if it's your will, let this happen. Okay, so all of that is hopefully helping us to understand prayer. Uh, prayer is not something that we should be flipping about. It's something that is very powerful. Uh, and it is a means of relationship building with our God. You want a closer relationship with God? You need to open up your mind to the fact that prayer is an avenue of relationship. Uh, and, and, and also praise is, uh, in some ways, a sense of prayer so that we can build the relationship with God and grow closer to Him and get away from the pull of this world. Okay, Recognize He is always there. The door is always open and He is waiting for you to come and knock. And He'll open the door for you. Our prayer, uh, as we've studied this, we've seen should be done in community. We should be opening up to our brethren about our struggles and asking for them to pray for us and pray with us about the difficulties that we're going through in life. Uh, it should be done in humility. It should be done with a sincere love for God. And, uh, and, and that is the righteous person. Righteous person isn't the person who lives perfectly. The righteous person who has this humility and submission to God and desires to have a relationship with him, not just for him to do the things that they want done. And that prayer is going to be effective, the prayer of humility. And then we learn that prayer is about trusting God's will and seeking his glory. As we go to God in prayer, we want his will to be done. We trust he knows more than we will ever know as he has uh, way more experience with everything about everyone's life. And he has seen it all happen before. Your life, there's probably not a, there's not a single thing about your life that's new to God. And he's like, oh, wow, I've never seen anybody do that before or go through that situation before. He knows and he understands it all. And so go to him in prayer. Let your requests be made known to God and know that he is listening and that he is willing to help in any way. And when he doesn't answer those prayers, trust that it's for your good. Maybe it's an opportunity for you to glorify God in your faith. 
You know, there's nothing more strengthening to my faith than to see some of you out there suffering, maybe praying for God to change the situation you're in, but remaining faithful to him and saying, God, whether you take it away or whether you don't, I'm going to glorify you. And I hear those words come out of your mouths, and it just builds me up and strengthens me and helps me to endure whatever I'm going through and to push on and to be a light for other people. And I hope that you'll continue doing that, and I hope we'll all grow mature enough to act that way and have that kind of faith. If you're here this morning and you've not received the grace that God offers to you, it is tremendous. It is uh, unfathomable that God would send his son to the earth, that he would let him suffer the most gruesome death so that you and I can have this kind of relationship with him. Uh, Those who murdered him can have the relationship with God and have access to all the blessings uh, that God wants us to have access to. It doesn't matter uh, what you've done or who you are. You can humbly come to God right now and you can receive forgiveness of sins if you're willing to give your life to him. You can be baptized for the remission of those sins and you can walk in newness of life having all the blessings of everyone else here uh, afforded to you. If you have that need, will you please let us know. Please come as we stand and as we sing.